The world has moved on and time has grown strange. Car's a real duck. Car? What does car mean? It means you're playing someone who's going to destroy you. All things serve the being. Tell the man in black I say hello. The world as Roland had always known it would be swept away. It starts here. From its field of roses, the dark tower cries out in its beast's voice. Time is a face on the water. Hello and welcome to Tower Junkies, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. Tower Junkies is a podcast celebrating the work of Stephen King, hosted by two lifelong constant readers. We do non-spoiler and spoiler reviews of King's published work and take a critical look at his film and television adaptations as well. We also discuss the latest King news and check in with each other on our ongoing King obsessions. It's the podcast where all things serve the King. Uh, you can find more of our work at, uh, <laughs> at TowerJunkiesPod.com. You can also like the Facebook page at Facebook.com slash TowerJunkiesPod and follow us on every level, level of social media, including the sinking ship that is Twitter at TowerJunkiesPod. And if you'd like to support what we do here, you can become a patron at Patreon.com slash ObsessiveViewer for a ridiculous amount of bonus content spread across all of ObsessiveViewer.com's various podcasts. And if you want only Stephen King-related content... Uh, you can become a patron at the f- special $4 tier uh, that's specifically for Stephen King-related content. On that, I have commentary tracks for, oh boy, uh, It's Chapter 2, uh, I'm blanking, The Shining, Doctor Sleep, uh, a bunch of different adaptations of King's work. I also do Church of King recordings where I go through uh, Stephen King short fiction collections uh, story by story. I also have read-along reviews of the uh, of the Green Mile, of Billy Summers, of uh, Fairy Tale, uh, just a bunch of Stephen King content. And just today, like like literally an hour ago, um, I posted on that tier uh, my immediate reaction review of the new Children of the Corn, <laughs> which uh, came out this year, which we'll talk about in news and check-in. So, anyway, again, Eesh. that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, again, that's at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Uh, all the money we make goes to paying the fees to keep the podcast running and keep my cat fed. Um, so uh, check that out. Patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. I am, of course, one of your hosts, Matt Hurt. And today on the show, we are continuing our odyssey, uh, our podcast odyssey through the Dark Tower series with a look at the way station, which is chapter two of the first book of the Dark Tower series, The Gunslinger. And joining me to do that, of course, is uh, my lifelong comate, uh, Tiny. <laughs> hey, uh, man, what's up? Hi, Tiny. How are you doing this evening? I'm doing quite well, sir. Good, good. Uh, I am as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited that we are continuing this. We... Um, what was it? Well, uh, we were supposed to record last night and then I didn't record or I, I canceled the recording, um, specifically because I did not have enough, uh, I did not have enough time to, uh, make extensive notes and then I did not do any of that. So, uh, so yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this is That's a long right. time coming. It'll, yeah. it'll be off the cuff. It's all right. Yeah. Yeah. You might say it's been a few poops since we've recorded this. Um, 
because in this section, <laughs> Jake can only measure time in the amount of times that he's pooped uh, since then. So, um, Talk so about the one thing I can really relate to. Oh my God, time seriously. How many shits <clears throat> you take? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that, <laughs> yes, yep. Yep. Um, we just recorded a B-roll, uh, a Wheel of Ka uh, edition of our Patreon recordings, um, all about Jake Chambers, really. And what we do with those is we do um, a little bit of a brief, like, warm-up discussion about the Dark Tower series. I have prompts for each one when we do an installment like this, uh, but we do that within the construct or the... the um, within the context of the entire series. So if you want a spoiler discussion about Jake Chambers and, and his role in the dark tower universe, you can sign up on Patreon and get that as well. Uh, Tiny, what did you think about that uh, discussion that we had there? Uh, awesome. Yeah. Good shit. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, I'm enjoying the idea of the whole prompt thing. I, uh, nice. I like that. Even though you kind of pulled them out of left field because you didn't tell me what I, you're gonna ask. Yeah, I did not. Uh, you know, maybe you for that's it. A, but maybe that's maybe that's a good thing. Like you know, maybe the whole off the cuff thing is a good idea. Yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe it is because it gives us a good. It, it does kind of accentuate that kind of warm up period that we're warming up to record. I, I do, I do like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, I don't know if I have anything. Uh, I don't have any prompts ready for next time. So, uh, yeah. yeah, well, I'll figure that out. But anyway, um, like I said, today on the show, we're going to be talking about the way station, which is chapter two of the gunslinger. But first we've got news and check-ins. Um, did you want to go into news and check-ins tiny? <laughs> yes, sir. All right. I don't have much in terms of news except that, um, I don't even have it in front of me, but, uh, Mike Flanagan has been, uh, there's been a, like, he made an appearance on a podcast that's not Tower Junkies. Mike, if you're listening, we'd love to have you on. Um, uh, but he made some remarks about the Amazon, uh, pilot for the, uh, oh, uh, for the, uh, for the Dark Tower series or the Dark Tower series that was from, uh, Glenn, uh, oh my, I must say Glenn Howerton, Jesus, um, uh, Glenn Mazzara. And, uh, he also talked about the kind of, burden of uh adapting the dark tower in the shadow of the failed um uh adaptation um and i am gonna try to find that real quick um but uh tiny i had shown you that um a while ago did you have any comments or remember anything (laughs) about that while i vamp to find uh oh i found it here uh, did you have any thoughts on that, or do you want me to go into more detail about what it is, since now I have it? Well, if I remember correctly, he was sort of, uh, I don't know if admitting is the right term, but he was basically mm-hmm. saying, you know, he's kind of struggling a little bit, or like he's, it's a it's a slow process, maybe, uh, is, is the best way to put it, if I remember correctly. You know, that's really interesting, because I don't know... Okay, so this is going to sound so weird. And again, Mike, if you're listening, don't let this comment hold you back from coming on the show at some point. Um, DM me, please. But anyway, um, (coughs) excuse me. Jesus, that was terrible. But um, I had a dream where he was confiding in me about the difficulties of adapting the Dark Tower series. And I legitimately don't know if that was a dream or if that was something that I read and then recontextualized in my head 
uh, it as a dream. But I do remember having a discussion in my dream space about him. Uh, but yeah. Uh, but the the statements that he made um, regarding the Dark Tower movie, uh, he, he was on uh, the Script Apart podcast. Um, and he said that I'm reading from Game Rant, GameRant.com, quote, Flanagan recently told the Script Apart podcast he believed the film's failure may have torpedoed his chances of getting to make a Dark Tower streaming series. And he had said on the podcast, quote, my Dark Tower adaptation couldn't be more different from the movie. Uh, that was the wrong approach to the material, kind of across the board, and it was such the wrong wrong approach that I think it kind of salted the earth for anyone else who wanted to plan something or plant something uh, under the Dark Tower banner for who knows how long. Uh, and of course, Flanagan acquired the rights to adapt King's Dark Tower, uh, the Dark Tower last year, but momentum on getting the series into production at Amazon has slowed. And then he went on to say, quote, uh, they were able to overcome it for an Amazon Studios series that took another different approach again that is very different than the one I am proposing and that didn't get off the ground. Uh, Flanagan added, so that has also directly impacted uh, the project and I'm at Amazon. <laughs> so like that's, I think that that's one of the, I think the implication is that that's one of the reasons why, you know, it's it's being shopped to 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 places because... Amazon already tried it and it didn't, it didn't work. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Uh, That's a shame. I it mean, it is. Yeah. Go ahead. The, the, just the uphill battle of it is, is really, uh, really uh, bothersome basically. But um, I'm going to go ahead and just read the, the next section of this and I'll put a link in the show notes, of course, but Flanagan referred to a lesser known previous Amazon adaptation that uh, created a single pilot episode in 2020, but was canceled before getting off the ground though. It's life was short developing the dark tower series and shooting a single episode had cost Amazon significant time and money. Uh, this, and this quote is from Flanagan. Um, uh, that's my studio now for television. And I can understand going to them and saying, Hey, would you like to walk exactly down the same title that you, uh, spent all this money on, uh, that you still feel, feel bruised from? I understand the issues. <laughs> uh, he said, <laughs> so, so yeah, so that's, that's a little bit of a window into Flanagan's, uh, process, his uphill climb to the dark tower. Um, how do you feel about that tiny? Uh, it's, it's it's both surprising and not surprising at the same mm -hmm. time because like I I think I've mentioned before maybe last time or something we were talking about this um, there's so much um, there's so much drive for content now because there's so mm -hmm. many streaming services and there's you know 20 years ago there were only 100 shows on the air but now there's like 400 right and so you would think it'd be easy to get something on the air but it's not yeah um, also, you know, so sometimes the budgets are huge and you can do a lot with them, but sometimes they're a lot smaller. And so, yeah, um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just kind of goofy. It, it's, it's a weird, um, it's a weird environment right now for, mm -hmm. for that reason. You know, it's like, there's, there's less money, but there's so much more, uh, desire for content out there. It's, yeah. I don't know. I, I wonder if there's some kind of like, I wonder if the bubble's popping a little bit. Um, I think you've said before that we're sort of in a second golden age of television right now because oh, there's, yeah. again, again, there's just so much out there and there's so many, there's so many opportunities for 
people to get their stuff made. Um, yeah. That, that great stuff is being made right now. There's at any given time, there are incredibly good shows. Mm-hmm. Like just every, every day, every day you could go watch an incredible piece of television. Yeah. Um, and that's an unprecedented thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't know, I don't know how that relates to the dark tower and, and Mike Flanagan trying to get it done. But um this is something that you know. This this is not going to be a limited series. This is right. going to be a uh, big budget. It's fantasy. It's an ensemble cast. Um, there's a lot of things working against it, I guess. Mm. Um, you know, I everyone wants to. Most viewers now want to get all their episodes at once and watch yeah. every episode. You know, in a weekend. Um, and then watch it again, you know, three, four or five times until the next season comes out. Um, a lot of shows are limited series now so that contracts are shorter. Um, you know, it's, it's just, it's just a strange environment now. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I feel like the dark tower sort of missed a sweet spot of like, maybe like the year 2012 or 13 to like, 2021 was kind of like the sweet spot for this kind of show to get made um and you know glenn mazzaro was in that arena but i think maybe lord of the rings kind of screwed that up yeah the the thing with that and the the shitty movie the shitty movie yeah mike flanagan mentioned that in his quote and and, you know that's obviously gonna hurt her as well but yeah i don't know I, I, i was kind of rambling there but oh no i totally agree and that that is a big a big part of that uh but also that like i that's that's why i feel like i'm definitely okay with waiting however long it'll take for mike flanagan to get it off the ground and everything because i don't want we we've already had this experience we've already had the experience of um of like okay we're we're going to we're going to get a movie and then we'll get like intermittent tv shows um in between each movie like the whole um the Ron Howard uh proposal was that uh they were going to make three movies and in between each movie they they were going to do a limited series to do the backstory of Roland Deschain and everything which is a, a a very interesting idea and could have worked very well but that didn't get off the ground. And then the idea was to fold that into what Nikolai Arcel was doing with uh, MRC and do that, like have the movie be that kind of first first foray into that, but not planned that way. Like, like to, to just make the movie, dump it out, and then if it's successful, work around a whole universe uh, from that. Um what I, why I feel comfortable with Mike Flanagan having the rights and everything is that I feel like he's not going to be someone who is, if it's within his power as a producer and creator of a television show and everything, if it's within his power to go to, to, um, uh, to, to basically say, like, like map out what he wants from the show and instead of having like a, a situation come up where it's like, okay, we'll give you one season of a show. And well, I mean, I'm sure that that's what will happen anyway, but like, we'll give you one season of the show. If it's successful, we'll renew it and everything. But like 
have him coming at it with this plan of like, I want to do five seasons. If I am able to do five seasons, that's great. But like, that's my vision for the show. That is the part you want to be in. Like that, that's the, that's the, that's the, uh, those are the hands you want to be at the wheel of this kind of project and nothing, nothing at all against Glenn Mazzara. I think that his, his pitch for how he was going to do the show was brilliant. I think that that, that was a great way to bring it in as he discussed it in detail in detail on the King cast. But in that episode, even he even said like, yeah, well, I, th- I think at some point he had, he had said that like he hadn't read the Dark Tower series. Like he basically, I don't think, I don't think he was hired to do it, but I think that he got on board the project. Um, I think maybe because of the failings of, of like, uh, of Imagine and like, uh, Ron Howard's, uh, vision and everything. Um, and then also the movie, but like he got on board and then he, he, became a fan of the series as he was if i am remembering correctly he became a fan of the series as he was workshopping how to break it and how to how to make it a show and like by all accounts he had the he had a great idea and everything but now we have someone who who owns the rights and his is workshopping how to do it who has literally been a fan of the series for presumably the majority of his life and uh so much so that every single thing that he has made that is related to Stephen King and even not related to Stephen King has had a reference to the Dark Tower series in it um so right. like yeah i don't know i just feel like he is the right person to be you know um championing um a a new adaptation which i'm sure i've said that exact sentence before on the podcast so only time will tell but but yeah that's my that's my soapbox um yeah yeah totally agree yeah and if anyone listening has access to the amazon uh pilot and like wants to like discreetly send send it to us please dm me as well because i would love to actually see it um but i know that we all that'd be so amazing it really would it really would um, but yeah, but that's, that's basically all the Stephen King news I have. Um, did you want to go into check-ins tiny? I would. Yeah. Cause I have one. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah. You can get us kicked off with check-ins. I've got a, like one or two. Um, okay. but yeah, but yeah. What, what's your, what's your check-in, uh, with, with Stephen King? Yeah. So just, just the one, um, the, this is a weird way to start it, but, um, <laughs> back in, uh, right after Thanksgiving, my mom had a, uh, major, major surgery that mm-hmm. was supposed to like have her in like a six to 12 month recovery. Um, and we were all worried cause she'd had the sim- a similar surgery before and it was really hard on her and painful and difficult. Um, and so because of that, I wanted to, I remember when she had this surgery 10 years ago, she read a shit ton of books and like mm-hmm. she like she read all the Harry Potter books and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, um, uh, I really enjoyed fairy tale, Stephen mm-hmm. King's latest, latest novel. I remember so you I were talking and, about this and mentioned that I think you were planning on, on giving her, or maybe you talked to me about it before. Uh, like, yeah, off my, I, think, I can't remember yeah. if I brought it up on here, but yeah, I, yeah. I, that, that was my plan. And so I bought her a hard copy version of, fairy tale and gave it to her um and she just literally 
it was a little bit serendipitous. She just texted me like two hours ago and she was like, Hey, I finished fairy tale. Oh, that's awesome. And, um, nice. yeah, she, she, she really liked it. She had not, um, my parents are kind of, I've talked about it before, kind of pivotal mm-hmm. in, in my Stephen King fandom because they were Stephen King fans back in the yeah. day and had books on the shelf, uh, you know, the stand and skeleton mm-hmm. crew and, all the you know the shining a bunch of books like that on, on the shelf and i was always intrigued by them as a kid and so um it was funny when i gave my mom the book um she was like i haven't read a stephen king novel in probably 10 years i was yeah. like holy shit really she said the last <laughs> one she thinks she remembers reading is under the dome mm-hmm. um that's so that's wild. Yeah, what was that 2009 or 8 maybe I when that came think out think so um yeah i think like two maybe 2007 um yeah so that's yeah. i mean that's 15 years ago so yeah um also anyways yeah so, i just i'm just ima- i don't I, like you said like holy shit i just imagine you'd be like holy fucking shit mom that's fucking wild are you fucking <laughs> insane <laughs> mom i'm so ashamed of you right now what the fuck? <laughs> but um we didn't talk about it a bunch or anything but um she she said that uh she liked it a lot she loves his imagination and uh it made her she thought of it as like um kind of like the wizard of oz with an mm. evil twist to it nice and i was like yeah that's that's a good description of it um and i mentioned that it um uh it had a lot of parallels thematically to the dark tower series yeah and she she was like yeah i've never read any of those or anything i was and she was like i've just never gotten around to it i was like yeah it's a big commitment it's five thousand pages and mm-hmm. seven books so it's a big commitment i understand so maybe i could have subtly planted the seed to get my mom to read the dark tower series but nice and we'll, then she can we'll follow see. along so, with us um yeah totally yeah totally also, um, and if she wants to listen to a read-along um, review of Fairy Tale, uh, <laughs> Patreon.com/slash/obsessiveviewer. <laughs> I still don't think to this day. I don't think my mom even knows how to find or download or listen to a podcast. Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, so, um, I'll send you the PowerPoint to send to her. Um, yeah, the last thing she said was my dad was starting it. Um, nice. Later on, so yeah, so he's gonna he's gonna read it too. So. Awesome. That's awesome. Well, it's good yep. that it's good that you're spreading the spreading the word about uh, yeah. about the king. Um, Totes. Yeah, you know if they are looking for, and this can kind of dovetail into my check in, uh, which is a tentative check in. I don't know if I want to put this out there because I have a lot on my plate. But anyway, um, if if the Dark Tower series is too intimidating uh, for your mom, did do you know if your dad has ever read the Dark Tower? I don't think so. Mm. Um, but it, even if then, if, if that's too big of a commitment because of how big it is and everything, like with Holly coming out this year, you can be like, Hey, you know, you can read, you know, the Bill Hodges trilogy, the outsider and if it bleeds. And then in September mm-hmm. you get the next adventure of Holly Gibney. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, that's something to put, put out there, but, I I can dovetail that into one of my check-ins. Um, another, um, shameless plug for patreon um i uh if you don't do the stephen king uh tier and everything i have a bunch of different tiers there um but i've been doing uh book reviews of the expanse series the space opera sci-fi series 
Um, I'm in the middle of, uh, as of tomorrow, tomorrow, the second episode of the second book is going to be coming out, uh, me talking about uh, Caliban's War. Um, but throughout the rest of this year, I'm going to be reviewing The Expanse uh, in, in like 100-page installments. Um, and I think tentatively... I cannot guarantee that I will do this because I also still need to start doing uh, the Dark Tower book or comic book uh, reviews that I want to get started to go in tandem with our with our reviews. But I was thinking I might do like a, a reread of the Bill Hodges trilogy and The Outsider and then finally read If It Bleeds in the lead up to Holly. That way I can do a read along review of Holly like I did with Billy Summers and fairy tale but in doing that i'll have to read the bill hodges trilogy and i might do a read-along series for for those books on patreon so again patreon.com slash obsessive viewer um if i do do that i've mapped it out to where that would begin in the middle of next month i believe so uh i'll talk about it in the next episode if i have uh any updates or anything but i think that i might do that because you know why not um yeah what do you what are your thoughts on that tiny um yeah that's kind of a big commitment for me <laughs> yeah, it <laughs> um, is it is <laughs> I, I understand why you'd be a little hesitant on that one yeah but, uh, yeah because that's kind of my thing is i will be like oh i'm gonna do this and then i'll start doing this and then i'll be like oh this is shiny over here i can do this too and then this <laughs> and then this um right until i drive myself absolutely insane uh <laughs> So yeah, so anyway, anyway, that's something that might be in the pipeline. Uh, but another incentive to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, and then uh, my other check-in I have is that I heard from uh, one of our listeners, Jason, who shot me a DM um, because I had mentioned in the previous episode that I would love to own the original... Um, printings of the gunslinger stories basically uh as they were published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction and i had lamented in the previous episode that i'm sure that it is very expensive um and 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 very uh very hard to find and everything and he took the time to send me a dm that said Uh, He was catching up on the podcast the other day, and he heard me mention wanting to collect them. Um, And he said, it can be done on a budget, but it takes some patience and dedication for sure. I was able to collect all five over the course of about nine months in 2020 and 2021, and prices ranged from $19, which is very appropriate, uh, for the Mm -hmm. April 1980 issue to $90 for the the October 1978 issue. All told, I spent about $220 on five issues. Um, so, I mean, damn, like I could very much be okay with, uh, like I was thinking it would be much more expensive. And then like, as, as he was telling me about that and I was thinking about, I was like, man, I could get that and I can get like shelves and like, like a shadow box or something and like mount them on the wall and just, uh, (laughs) yeah. So I don't know. That's cool. I I wonder where he found them, like on, on like online websites or eBay or whatever. He had said something, and then I had exited out of it before. Um, he said, uh, it seems like prices have gone up quite a bit since then, but if you keep an eye on eBay and abebooks.com, maybe you'll get lucky. I've never heard of abebooks.com, uh, but but yeah, 
Um, yeah. Interesting stuff to keep in mind. Um, hmm. Yeah. So I just, I'm Googling, I'm searching it. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. So that, so that's something to kind of keep in mind. Um, do you have any interest in collecting the original um, magazine uh, of fantasy and science fiction editions of the individual stories of the gunslinger? Yeah, I definitely mm-hmm. would. Um, I, you know, I, my, my knack for collecting things mm-hmm. has really, really gone out the window. I mean, I, I, I understand that. I, I got rid of my, all my DVDs and Blu-rays. They're all mm-hmm. gone. Um, and, cause I was, I was not using them. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not a fan of collecting anything mm-hmm. that I'm not going to use. Um, like there are people who collect things that are for display only. And like, yeah. I don't, I'm not a fan of that. Like if I was, I don't care what it is. Like if mm-hmm. I bought a car or like a, like a classic car, like I would want to drive it. Oh like that's, yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of how I am. And like, if I buy a book, I want to read it. So, yeah. um, uh, and if I don't do that, then I'm not going to collect it. That's kind of, right. that's kind of my thought. And so, um, I, I don't know. I'm not against it for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'd be, I'd be curious. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, that's, uh, I don't know. I, I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to think about it, you know? Nice. All right. Well, I'll see if I can get the, uh, shipping canceled. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so dumb uh but yeah but also and this is going to be very brief and then and then we can get into our review and everything but um like i don't know thinking about the individual publications of the gunslinger chapters and how they are kind of just stories that are put together and everything i I like talking it speaking it out loud here tonight i just remembered how much like how much at one point when rereading the dark tower series, I remember thinking like, cause everyone says like, okay, we would love if Stephen King went back to the dark tower and did like one other dark tower novel and did like, uh, talked about like the battle of Jericho Hill or, um, any other thing in the dark tower universe. And like, I remember at one point us talking about how awesome it would be if, Stephen King just released a collection of short stories all that all took place in the dark tower universe and Mm -hmm. just, just having like all, all spans of time and, and levels of the tower, like everything. Um, and just have a collection, um, of, of short stories and novellas in one, in one publication. I think that that would be so awesome. Um, but yeah, that but, yeah. would be fantastic. I would be all over that. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. It would that. Yeah, I would. I would yeah. love that. Um, After some some quick googling, I, I looked mm. up. Like, there's a, a lot on eBay of the five magazines mm. together. It's four hundred and eighty dollars. Oh. Um. Uh. And and like. I, I, it almost, it's kind of, it kind of turned me off of it because, mm-hmm. uh, like literally the, the magazine covers don't have any gunslinger dark tower artwork on them. It's all other, are like, it's, it's artwork from oh. other stories, I assume, that are, that are in the magazine. Like it, they all oh. have his name on there. Mm-hmm. Um, say they huh. say Stephen King, but like it doesn't, like none of the artwork is the dark yeah. tower. So, huh. 
that's too bad it lost it lost its appeal for me in that in that <laughs> regard i don't think i'd ever i mean if it was like a hundred bucks or something oh sure i might go for it but yeah. um so and it's it's certainly cool of course yeah but I, you know yeah I, I don't know i probably wouldn't pull the trigger on them okay <laughs> pull the trigger um <sighs> nice <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, we will check back on that as we go through the series and everything. Um, the other thing I was going to say, just really briefly, like, and I think I may have mentioned this at some point, but I kind of feel like with us doing the Dark Tower series on the podcast and everything, at some point, I want to pull the trigger and actually get like a Dark Tower tattoo. Um, because I've said for years I want to get like a Dark Tower tattoo, never done it. I've not had a single tattoo on my body um ever so i don't know something maybe to think about as we go through um the series and then uh we'll have like a special episode where it's like you'll just hear like a and then you just hear like a voice going like "Ah! Ah! Ah!" that'd be me screaming (laughs) um yeah i was trying really hard not to not to get too loud because i didn't want the mic to clip but (laughs) uh but yeah um yeah, I just feel like that would be that would be the experience. Um, not really. I yeah. think I'd I'd be fine, probably. Right? It's it. You know, it hurts. I'm not. I'm not. Mm-hmm. Gonna, I'm not gonna mince words. But what I found is getting this my most recent tattoo. Mm-hmm. Um, time is very critical. Like the first, mm. like so, I did two three hour sessions to get this done, and the first hour you're like, yeah, it hurts. But you're hmm. like, whatever, it's, it's going to be worth it. And then after the second hour, you're just like, oh, man. And then by the third hour, you're like, let's fucking stop. I am so <laughs> ready to be done with this. I don't wow. care how it looks. I'm so ready to be done. I, hmm. I don't know how people can sit for like five, six hours. And get, oh, I can't I, imagine. I, could not, I just couldn't do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you get something small enough, like the oh, other yeah. two small tattoos that I have, mm-hmm. both both took 20 to 30 minutes a piece. Oh, nice. And I didn't even think about, I was like, yeah, it hurt, but like, mm-hmm. it wasn't a big deal. Cause it was 20 minutes. Like yeah. it wasn't. So I, to me, the, the, the length of the tattoo mm-hmm. and pos- positioning, I think is also important, but, um, you, yeah. I think you, I think you'd be fine. Yeah. Okay. A good rule of thumb for all of you listening here is that if you can stand listening to us talk for, talk for an hour and a half or so, you can probably withstand an hour and a half of needles. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Um, and this is a complete non sequitur, completely not, I mean, it, it, nothing to do with any of this really, but uh, it's on that same subject. So it's not really a non sequitur, but um, having never gotten a tattoo, and then I swear we'll get into the actual content of the episode. Um, having <laughs> never gotten a tattoo, gotten a tattoo, you said like two, three hour sessions. Is it like, getting like a haircut where they try to make conversation with you. And then like, is it one of those things or is it like, Hey, I'm going to just, you know, poke you in the arm for a few hours. Uh, you can mess around on your phone or listen to podcasts or something. Um, it probably depends. It probably depends on the artist. Um, I had my neighbor do mine and he's, uh, he, he's an older guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and he has like a no cell phone policy. Oh, you can't, you can't be on your phone, which I kind of like. I think that's kind of yeah. cool. Um, uh, like he has a sign, like it's like painted on the wall. It's not a sign. He like mm-hmm. painted on the wall. He was like, no cell phones, be in the moment. Um, oh, nice. And which, which I think is kind of cool because yeah. I well, think a tattoo should be about an experience too. Yeah. 
also, I think that there's a certain level of protection there because, like, like when the movie came out, um, I th- I was very strongly considering getting a tattoo. I had the whole idea of like doing like the uh, the sigil of like the line of Eld, uh, yeah. Arthur Eld's uh, like on my wrist or something, but I didn't want to have it. I don't I don't know or or my or like have Ka on my like calf or something. But anyway. Yeah. Um, I like, I went to a tattoo parlor and I like asked like, Hey, how long would it take to do this? Like to do like just something simple like this and how much would it be? And then they kind of like eyeballed it and it was like, yeah, like 20 minutes, probably eh, like a hundred bucks or something. It's like, okay, cool. Yeah. Do you have like a card or whatever? Um, and to bring it back to the no cell phones policy and everything like, yeah, like if you go like to like that tattoo artist's Instagram page, it's protected <laughs> because he posts like pictures of his art and like Mm -hmm. that protects like some like no one can just like say like oh hey i'm gonna take it to a cheaper person and steal his his intellectual property and have it permanently put on me without paying him um right so yeah so anyway um that's interesting Um, yeah my so just to answer your question i guess fully Mm -hmm. um Donnie, my uh, the, my mm-hmm. neighbor who who did the uh, did the tattoo, he it was it was kind of back and forth. Like mm. we would talk for a little while, and then it would be quiet for twenty minutes or so. Like it was just it was real back and forth. Um, and there's like music playing, and there were mm-hmm. it was funny because like when he's doing the outline, it's very very precise, and it's like mm-hmm. he was like inches away from my skin and just very intense and moving very precisely and intently. But like when he did the color, it's a little more freehand, you know. Mm. So he was like he was like headbanging with the music and just like, "Mm," just like going nuts. And like, it was, it was just kind of funny (laughs) to see him the difference between the two. But, um, (laughs) I, I, I bet it just depends on the artist Mm -hmm. and like how they, how they feel about it. So I, uh, and I, I realized that the music is probably like, I don't know, like, like, I don't, I don't, a certain type of music or something, but I'm just picturing him like head banging to like Taylor Swift or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the problem. It's me. Um, but anyway, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. Should we talk about the way station tiny? <laughs> yeah, we should probably quit beating around the bush here. We really should. So what I'm, since this is the second installment of our 50 some odd, uh odyssey uh, episode odyssey through the dark tower series um i have taken it upon myself to write a previously on the dark tower um and so maybe eventually i'll do like a music bed or something uh to to you know have music playing with this but um here we go i i wrote this out um previously on the dark tower Roland Deschain, the last gunslinger in a world that has moved on, pursues a sorcerer named Walter Odim through the desert. It's not clear what their history is, just that Odim, the man in black, may hold the key to getting Roland to the Dark Tower, a mysterious and powerful structure that has a pull on Roland. In his pursuit, Roland meets a farmer named Brown and tells him the story of Tull, the only living town in the vast, empty desert, now dead thanks to the hands of Roland and the sorcery of Odim. The man in black cursed the town by bringing a dead citizen back to life and impregnating the town's preacher with the demon spawn of the evil Crimson King. 
Roland confronted the preacher and put an end to the pregnancy. The preacher then summoned the town, now under the sorcerer's spell, to attack Roland. Roland, in turn, killed every man, woman, and child of Toll and then continued his pursuit of the man in black. After sharing a meal with Brown, uh, with Brown the farmer, and sleeping on his property, Roland leaves Brown and continues on his pursuit of the man in black. Uh, and that brings us to The Way Station, which... Uh, this story was originally published in the magazine Fantasy and Science Fiction in April 1980, and I do have a short plot summary that I'm going to read, and then we can dive in to talk about uh, the, the this section, uh, this chapter. So, um, first of all, any notes, anything I missed in the recap? No, that sounds good to me. Okay, good. Um, so, the way station, the plot summary. Uh, here we go. Roland arrives at an abandoned way station and first encounters Jake Chambers, a young boy. Roland collapses from dehydration and Jake brings him water. Jake knows neither now, uh, neither how long he has been at the way station nor exactly how he got there, and he hid when the man in black passed through. Roland hypnotizes Jake to determine the details of his death and discovers he died in a different universe that appears much closer in nature to our own. He, is pushed, he was pushed in front of a car while walking to school in Manhattan. Before they leave, Roland and Jake search for food in a cellar and encounter a demon. Roland masters the demon and takes a jawbone from the hole from which it spoke to him. Uh, that plot summary came from, I think, IMDb, or not IMDb, but Wikipedia. Uh, but Tiny the way station uh how do you feel overall about this about this section of the story and how did how did uh you feel reading it uh this go around um i i felt great about it there's stuff that jumped out to me um i'm still uh to keep continuing continuing to hit this theme i i love mm-hmm. the 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 uh performance aspect of the audiobook it's yeah. fantastic george guidall is amazing um so that that's standing out um one thing that i kind of wanted to start with was um i like i feel like in um the gunslinger the the first the the, the first um the first part that we talked about mm-hmm. tull and all that i feel like roland is has this aspect of invincibility to him mm-hmm. um he's he's super um strong and uh just just badass protagonist anti-heroish for sure um but he he just has this this uh theme or image of strength and badassery and heroism and all and all that stuff um but i feel like pretty quickly in this chapter a big crack appears where he's, you know, he's, he, he passes out. Like, you know, he, um, he's, he's a little bit delusional. Um, and he, he passes out and he, he kind of shows some weakness here. Um, Mm. and we start, we start to see a little more humanity from him, I think. Um, and I, I really appreciate that, especially so early on in the story. Um, you know, I, I think starting it with Tull and him recounting the story to um uh Brown. To the farmer he finds Brown, yeah. sorry, I forgot his name. Um that was a great way to start it. And and I think it again it presents this it, it presents this image of him 
Um, but but to present a flaw in the second, or not not a flaw, but you know, a, a mistake or mm-hmm. weakness um, in the second chapter was a great idea. Um, I just I really appreciate that. Um, and of course, you know, we get the introduction to Jake and all that, mm-hmm. and there's some some backstory, some 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 horror aspect to this. Yeah. Um, a little bit of action, um, some sci-fi-ness. I mean, mm. it's really, the themes are starting to jump out in the second chapter, and it's it's fun. I, I'm, I'm glad. I, I kind of forgot about some of that stuff, um, you know, uh, that it shows up this early. Most notably the sci-fi thing, the whole, like, North Central Positronics thing. Yeah. Um, or was it Lamerc? I think it was. It was North Central Positronics. Yeah. I couldn't remember who who manufactured the the water pump, the yeah. nuclear water pump. But uh, yeah, I was like, man, I forgot that that showed up this early. That's mm-hmm. that's really cool. And yeah, I don't know. It was just it was it was fun reading through it again. It, it, totally, totally. And the thing that kind of jumps out to me is that I, I like I I made I put such an emphasis on the Russian nesting nesting doll storytelling of the chapter one, the gunslinger, and how it folds back on itself to tell another story within the story and everything and to kind of follow that theme, uh, the way station is another, another kind of vessel for storytelling to, in a respect, but it's more information gathering than anything because we have Roland hypnotizing Jake, having Jake recount his death in our world and his world, uh, while also delivering the backstory about his family, his home life and, and like everything about New York that he experienced and everything, uh, in the lead up to his death. And in addition to that, we get Roland's backstory. The first time, it's our first look into Roland's childhood. And it starts with, um, uh, I I have it broken up into sections, so um, we can kind of go section by section and everything. Um, But we, uh, at the beginning, when he arrives at the way station, um, even from the jump of this chapter, he talks about a nursery rhyme that his mother sang to him and it's the plane, the uh, Spain plane on the Spain, whatever. Um, and even then it's like, okay, he, he rem- like we get the little piece of information where it's, he, he says something to the effect of, um, he remembers his mother singing that to him in the castle where he grew up and how she wouldn't like, she didn't, he never heard it in the, in his bedroom because uh, those who were born to the high speech were not allowed to have like their mothers were not, uh, their parents were not allowed in their, in their rooms, uh, at night because they didn't want, you know, anything to like coddle them or make them fear the dark or like whatever, however it's described. But like, that's our first look at the childhood of Roland Deshane. <laughs> um, and then we get a full on flashback with him and Cuthbert, um, and hacks the cook, which we'll we'll talk about um, a bit later. But um, how do you feel about the window into into Roland's childhood and kind of as a mirror to Jake's childhood, as it's or his present, really, <laughs> um, in this in this chapter? Um, yeah, it's interesting. I I feel like um, it's a bit of his whole the whole thing where he's remembering the nursery rhyme or whatever you want to call it Mm -hmm. um it's 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 a bit of a 
I think it's presented as a bit of a delusion. You know, like he's kind of he's a little bit delusional delirious. or just kind of delirious. Thank you. That's what yeah. I was thinking of. Um, he's a little bit delirious because of the dehydration and and exhaustion and everything, and he just has this random nursery rhyme or whatever going through his head, and it's um, it's an interesting in to to get to his childhood and and to start to do de- and to develop him further you know yeah. um i i like it I, I like it as a as as a literary device that was you know it was clever and it and it works really well um and it sets up some um really uh intense um backstory for what midworld is like and what it was like in gilead and yeah growing up to be it has a very you know kind of a um uh uh greek spartan kind of thing to Mm -hmm. it you know where the it's it's a warrior culture you know yeah Um, uh and that's that is just a really cool premise and i i I like that i i love the whole the whole um gunslingers and training yeah from a young age you know there it's it's it is a lifestyle it's not a um it's not a job it's a lifestyle i really mm. i really like that that's established so early and it's it's such a cool concept and yeah yeah it's it's really neat yeah i i freaking love it and i'm excited to go forward with it as well but like um yeah that backstory uh as it's described and everything that window into it that it's it's a kind of harshness um that's that's dis- depicted uh, a harshness of life for the gunslingers in training. And we get that like later on with, like I said, hacks the cook and, and Cuthbert and, um, how like in, and, uh, um, Oh God, court is it court court. I keep wanting yeah. to say Mort. Um, <laughs> uh, but no court. court, Jesus. Um, anyway, <laughs> uh, with him and like the abusive angle of it and everything is just like unrelenting. um, and it's it does feel like that, like you like you said, it's a warrior culture, and um, I think that there is a level of of disruption within that because uh, here, like the backstory that we get of Roland, and I'm jumping ahead to the to the last section and everything, but the backstory we get is this this kind of noble culture with like with people of you know, personal stature and, um, distinction, uh, in this warrior culture and everything, but we get the effect of it decaying. And like in some of the flashbacks, it says that like they refer to it as the world moving on. The world has moved on. Even then it's not that the world has moved on into a complete post-apocalyptic wasteland. It's like the world has moved on from this, this culture that is, that has these, uh, Arthurian knights with guns protecting it and everything. Now we have uh, John Farson, the good man, coming to wreak havoc and and dismantle everything, um, and and we have that kind of at the forefront um, in that in that time and place. And I just find that to be really interesting. And again, I would love a collection of short stories <laughs> that all take place like in the world, it, it, like in Gilead. And like the like all of that like I would I would love that but um, absolutely yeah 
Yeah. But Roland arrives at the way station, and like you said, he is delirious. He's completely dehydrated. He is he is he is not himself. And I thought that it was really interesting and and a good um kind of just hammering home of how delirious it was that like he sees Jake and his immediate thought because his obsession is reaching the man in black his immediate thought is like oh my god I've reached him and oh my god he is completely emaciated he is he is just a skeleton because he's seeing like a 10 year old kid (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but he sees that it's Jake and uh then they palaver they uh they meet and how do you feel about the uh the first first encounter between Roland and Jake um it's it's fun to to see it because it's um again there there's there's a fish out of water kind of aspect to it um mm-hmm. they're both disoriented you know cuz uh, uh, Roland's going through uh dehydration and and delirium and everything and Jake is just disoriented because he died and he's in the afterlife and he doesn't know what's going on um and they're in this strange land it's i think it's a little bit strange for both of them Mm -hmm. um uh you know because uh roland is seeing the whole atomic water pump for the first time that's that's, yeah that's an odd thing for him um but yeah i i like the um Again, I, I keep going back to the performance, the audiobook aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm impressed with how uh George Guidal can make using with, with his voice makes the character of Jake he 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 plays with the two major themes that I was talking about earlier where he's he has that childlike wonderment, but he's also very mature, like um uh when he's talking about how time moves time is funny um mm-hmm. and he's when when he's when he's entranced uh when he's hypnotized he's very adult with a with a child's voice but then like when he's talking about um oh gosh i can't remember what else but like he, the george guidall's performance mm-hmm. is really impressive like you you can hear you can hear the characteristics of Jake in his voice. And like, that's, that is a crazy skill. Um, Yes. The nuance that he brings to the performance, um, is, is amazing. Like in, in a good kind of, um, uh, it's, it's kind of a little bit of a sidetrack, but like, I think that there is for for those of you who who listen to audiobooks, um, I understand that there are people who don't like, don't and that's fine but yeah, for those I of you that. yeah those of you who do know that there is there is a level of there's a degree of performance in the performance like and it can make or break a story like i a good for instance is that i recently listened to the audiobook for um a sci-fi book called Revelation Space by Alistair Reynolds and I had read it previously, or I had listened to it previously, like several years ago. Um, and I was like, yeah, it's okay. But I wanted to get more into it and more into the, like all of like the series of, of re- like Revelation Space books. So 
I bought the paperback and I read along with it. Um, shout out to Kim C who, who, uh, promotes that, that level of, of immersion and everything. But like, I did that specifically because the narration in the audiobook for Revelation Space, it did not connect with me. And one of the big reasons for that is that in, in no shade at narrator John Lee, but he does not change his voice for the characters. Like there's no, he is reciting, like he's reading it and he has a very good speaking voice, but there are there are whole like swatches of dialogue in Revelation Space that I wouldn't know who read who was speaking them had I not been reading reading along with the book, um, with the print with the physical book. So, um, so I mean, just applause to um, uh, to George Guadal Guadal. Um, mm-hmm. And and Frank Muller, uh, as he is going to come on the scene in the drawing of the three, um, yeah. Because there's, it's just, I, I'm so glad that we have uh, a a good history of strong narrators in Stephen King uh, audiobooks, yeah. right? And I yeah. I also love um, there's two kind of actiony sort of scenes um, in this chapter. Uh, and I love, I love the uh, his performance of Roland using kind of mid-world speech, or I don't know if mm-hmm. it's considered high speech, but um, basically where he he comes upon Jake, who he thinks is the man in black, and he pulls his guns, and he's like, he's like, get up on your feet, you horse son! I don't have time for this, and like the way he, I can't remember exactly what he says. Um, that example and then when he's talking he goes into the cellar and the demon starts rumbling and making making its noise and he's like speak if you're going to speak demon my time is short and like (laughs) like me reading it me saying that right now i sound ridiculous you know it's it's (laughs) like it's like trying to read shakespeare Mm -hmm. you know when you're in high school it doesn't sound you sound like a goofball saying the and and thy and shit like that but George Guidal makes it work and like the way he the way he delivers these unique words that aren't used, you know, thank you, Sai. Like I mentioned that last time, that sounds goofy as shit. But yeah. like when George Guidal just makes it work. He makes it work and it sounds natural mm-hmm. and it sounds right. And I I'm I'm blown away by that. And I it's so refreshing to hear someone use it and have it sound naturally. That's mm-hmm. I'm I'm really loving that and the level this, of this yeah that was, I was this just, chapter has two great examples of it yeah totally and like the the level of conviction that he brings to that and the believability and the performance of it like it is it is a performance he is he is performing and it's stellar stellar for sure um, yeah yeah um, another thing about this first section where he first has the encounter with Jake. Um, I, I wish I would have marked down like the actual uh, lines and everything, but when he he's he's you know being kind of revived by Jake basically he's he's given he's given water and some food and there's this moment where yeah, I think it's after after Roland asks him where he's come from and and Jake is he's stumbling through this like vague like fugue state memory of. New York City, which I'll stop right here and say that that was that is such an interesting um, 
uh, scene because he's like his memory of of his world is fading. Like he doesn't remember much about it. Um, and as he's trying to describe it, I actually tweeted about this when I was listening to it for the first time, uh, first time this round. But uh, I had said something to the effect of like, I, I the imagery of that, like having if you put yourself in Roland's perspective and you have this, this guy from this world, uh, hearing this kid very, uh, very confusedly describing New York city as like, um, as like, uh, manic, like small statues sold clothes and windows. And there was a giant, a giant statue in the water that was holding a torch and a book. Um, and just like when I was listening to that, I had to pause and I was like, I would love to see someone make like artwork that is Roland's perspective. Like what Roland imagined that to look like. because totally i i would be just fascinated by that and i just think that that's such an interesting kind of uh kind of way to show the complete uh, distance between jake and and roland and even yeah. with jake and himself because he can't remember and that and that kind of leads me to the next thing that i was going to say is that he says that like, yeah, I can't remember. Cause he said, he says like, um, he says something about a TV channel and then Roland's like, what's a channel? It, is it like a beam? And then he's like, it's like television. And he's like, what's television. It's like, okay, this yeah. is, this is not going anywhere, but <laughs> who's on first. Um, but, uh, then he says like, I don't remember. And, um, I, it's all fading. And tomorrow I'm not, I'm probably not even going to remember that my name was Jake Chambers and you're probably going to be gone and you've eaten like all my food and I'm going to die here alone. And just like that fear is so palpable in that moment also because of George Guidel's performance as well. But, um, that's palpable. And also I think that that shows this level of child childlike innocence that's in jake that like he just willingly like gave this you know dehydrated man food and water without thinking about how he's gonna get food and water and everything and then now it's catching up to him like oh oh he's just i'm 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 gonna die if he leaves me here um it's just i i love the intricacy of that um yeah for sure yeah yeah um and then in that same uh, that same, oh God, there was something else I was going to say about that. Um, oh, the food and water and, oh, 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 um, he talks about, he references, um, not encountering the man in black, but hiding from the man in black. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I like that, uh, as well, because it feels like a, it feels like it's a different experience that Roland is coming upon and I like that there's like, I don't think there's much of a, of a fear within Roland that Jake is, you know, possessed or Jake is not who he claims to be because we've already got that with him and Brown, like that level of confusion and doubt and, um, fear, um, uh, there's a word, paranoia, paranoia. But here with, with Jake, it's like, okay, this is dirty. Like, this is a dirty trick. He... Like he's put, placing this kid in front of me and like, I, I'm a stoic person and like, I'm someone who is, you know, I, like I'm, I am an archetype of a certain like type of storytelling, 
But now this helpless kid is in front of me that is forcing me to take him under my wing or to protect him in some way. And I can, I'm like, I'm right there. I'm seeing three moves ahead that like, yeah, this, this could not be a good thing for anyone. (laughs) Um, I don't know. I just like the way that that's kind of just the groundwork is laid there. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that. I like that. Um, that's where his mind goes because Mm -hmm. he, you know, he hypnotizes Jake and, basically discovers that the man in black killed Jake to put him in Roland's path, presumably, right? It's not, it's not blatantly um, said, but that's what he suspects. And it makes logical sense. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, the, it's, it's funny cause it's like you were kind of saying it's, it's, um it's a burden for him and it's a, it's something that's going to affect him emotionally but it's mm-hmm. also Jake is also uh frankly like a tool or like a device for Roland to use like he's going to be able to use Jake to help him get to the man in black but the man in black also put Jake in his path to distract him it's like he plays a dual role in that regard like Jake is both good and bad in 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 Roland's pursuit of the man in black, he is good and bad. Like he's he's yeah. a useful a useful device, which is you know a little bit um, disturbing way to put it to talk about a human being that way. But yeah. that's that's how he has to think about it. Um, so yeah, he he's a, he's a useful device, but he's also a big distraction and and something that's going to be in his way. Um, it's 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 interesting how he he plays both those roles or like Roland is able to so clearly see um both of those aspects of Jake like the good and the bad you know mm-hmm. um i wanted to talk about how Jake basically confirms something from the first chapter that's brought up um in in the first chapter um brown when he's having a palaver with with roland he brings up the idea that this is the afterlife and and he's in he's in the afterlife and you know i i don't know that midworld or this desert is exclusively the afterlife like i don't know that that's only the only purpose that this world serves but Mm -hmm. um it has that ability or that's an aspect of this this world yeah. And, and so like I said Jake basically confirms that. Mhm. And I kind of I, I I almost wonder if as the audience Stephen King wants us to look back at Brown and wonder did he it, like like is is the way station um the portal or the uh that 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 is where people from quote unquote Keystone Earth Mhm come from that's where they come from that's when they die this is where they go and so like is brown from another dimension another version of earth or another planet who the hell knows and that's his farm or his hut that's his that's their portal when people are drawn to this world from that other world this is where they show up i don't know i don't i don't know if he wanted us to like definitively draw that conclusion or if that's just where my mind took it but i mean it it uh, definitely confirms that this is a that this world is a 
destination for the afterlife when people die in other yeah. worlds they can end up here like i think this i think this confirms it right that that's that's an aspect of this world i yes and no actually because i feel like the okay. um my interpretation is that uh jake is pushed in front of the car and dies and then the man in black comes dressed as a priest and i think that that's when he intentionally sends jake to to the way station uh specifically to be in 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 the way of roland um but i do like that theory though i like that idea because this is a barren wasteland like there's there are just stretches of just desert hard pan desert that has no life and the only the only place that roland has encountered that has life is life that he took away in his hand like with his own hands um in Mm -hmm. tull and i i I think that that's a really interesting um interesting way to look at it that you know it's a world the world has moved on and like you know, people from other levels of the tower, other other realms, other worlds, they've moved on as well, and some could move on to there. Um, I think that's really interesting. Um, and it's also interesting that, like, uh, the Tahin have popped up a couple of times, at least in reference, or that one that one time where in in the first chapter where they reference seeing a Tahin that are that's looking for Igol Siento. Uh, and, and that's a whole thing that we'll talk about much, much later in this, but, um, like their whole purpose and, and the Manny folk are to find portals to other worlds and everything. Um, so I don't know. I think that that's an, that's an interesting, it's an interesting take. I'll, I'll say that. Yeah. Okay. I like your, I I kind of, I guess I just missed that, that basically Mm -hmm. the man in black sent him there. He Mm -hmm. didn't end up there. That's, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Um, but now that you say that, yeah, that's mm. that's that's true or that's obvious. Mm. Yeah. Um but yeah, I think I think there is some uh level of uh uh truth to that to an ex- an extent. Like I think that there's the the significance of the line that Brown says of it being uh um thinking that it is the afterlife is is an interesting interesting thing. And also the fact that it's a way station, like it's a way station for a coach line, which I had to look up because I've never looked up like what a way station is. Cause in my head, yeah. yeah, in my head, I hear way station and I think of like, Oh, it's like on the highway when, you know, trucks have to stop and get weighed, <laughs> um, which is not exactly. Yeah. Not the case. Cause it's W a Y station. Um, but I looked it up. It's basically just like a old timey rest stop, like on to, mm-hmm. for people to rest on their travels and everything. And on the way, uh, yeah. And I think that that's interesting too, because it is like a. It's it's interesting that the first chapter had this level of like like outright saying, like Brown outright saying that he thinks that this is the afterlife, that they are in the afterlife. And then this very next chapter, we have what, by all accounts, could be considered like a purgatory state um, with the way station. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just think that that's there's there there are like levels of 
you know, uh, philosophical debate that I'm not equipped to go into. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Pretty words, cool stuff. I don't know. Guns. Um, right. But I think that there's something there that I think can be, can be mined for some, some pretty interesting analysis. Um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and speaking of Jake and his, his backstory and everything, um, I want to talk about his backstory, his life in New York as as Bama, um, and and his family and everything. But before that, we get our first um, our first hypnotizing scene with Roland with the gun with with the bullet. Uh, is it is it a full on bullet or is it a bullet casing? I think it's a bullet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he swirls it around his finger and that hypnotizes Jake and puts him into a state where he can tell all about uh, his, his backstory and everything. So how do you feel about that in terms of like some, some low grade gunslinger, uh, not sorcery, but <laughs> magic basically his, or as the movie uh, depicted uh, with a man in black, his magics. God. Um, I love it. I think it's Mm -hmm. again, just, just a great literary device. You know, it's, it's totally believable that he has this ability and it's, it's a great way to draw, um, draw information out of character and it, it, you know, it's, um, it's funny that in the, I, unless I misinterpreted this or I'm misremembering, Jake, when he does that, when he's hypnotized, um, Jake uses midworld language. Like he says mm-hmm. Yar and um it's it's almost like it's almost like the 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 truth or the story is being drawn out of him by Roland in his own language, if that makes sense. Um I I love that aspect of it, you know. Um and, and it, again I just I'm a sucker for a backstory. I'm a sucker oh, for yeah. a flashback. And, and that's what this is. You know, I, I, I really kind of love that. Um, and it's, uh, you know, I, I, I love the way it, I love the way it's, it's, um, it's depicted too. Like, I like, mm-hmm. I like the story of, it's a weird sentence to say, but I like the story of Jake dying. Like it's, <laughs> yeah. um, like just, just the progression of events where he's, pushed into oncoming traffic and mm-hmm. it's you know it, it, it could it could be such a brass thing but it's it has an elegance to it the way he talks about it he's like you know i, I remember skinning my hands on the concrete and mm-hmm. i look to my left and i can see a man in a lincoln through the windshield and it's like oh he just got pushed into oncoming traffic and mm-hmm. he's about to get run over by a car yeah, but it's just it's just, it has a it has this uh, element of elegance to it that I really appreciated. Yeah, and like the in like the slow realization of it, like him worrying about skinning his knees as like presumably his lungs are filling with blood, and he's he's like right. he's breathing his last breaths on on Keystone Earth at least. Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah. It's dreamlike too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That and just the presence of the man in black there and him doing that and then f- like sending him 
into his own purgatory state and everything is really interesting to me as well because we've got we've had up until this point in the first section we had this maniacal um joker-esque like persona with the man in black where he like we had the whole the whole thing with nort coming back to life and him him telling ali being like hey um why did he if he could bring me back to life why did he make me still want the devil weed like why did why didn't he take that away and it's like just this chaotic level of mischief that the man in black has in that chapter and then now we have him just murdering a young boy specifically to put him in the path of roland so presumably so that he has a little bit more trouble catching up to him. <laughs> it's like it's insanity and and i love it i love it um yeah yeah for sure yeah um but as far as his like childhood his backstory um jake's uh we learn that his that he bowls at midtown lanes um and that oh and that was another thing about him like him having the realization that he's gonna die and thinking like really this is how i'm like before i even get a chance to bowl a 270 um it's just like (laughs) like that that is such a weird like left field bit of humor but very dark and very uh very tragic as well um but we kind of get the sense that he doesn't really have a good home life he's kind of um his parents are kind of yuppie yuppie dickheads basically uh his father works at a television network and his mother i don't remember much about um about her backstory or anything but he has a he has a strong bond with um their housekeeper i can't oh god i can't remember her name but um yeah shaw. mrs shaw mrs shaw yeah uh so yeah so how do you feel about that anything uh jump out to you in that in that uh in that run of backstory for jake um not a ton it doesn't jump out a ton in mm-hmm. this uh in this story but i feel like it's explored more in the drawing of the three mm-hmm. um how his dad is I don't want to jump ahead to that, but you know, mm. we, we get a little more in that his dad's a little hard, is kind of hard on him. And yeah, his mom is mom is kind of detached. If I remember correctly. Mm. Um, uh, it seems like a bit of an appetizer yeah. for, for the real backstory, you know? Um, and with, you know, again, not to jump ahead, but later on in the drawing of the three, we get the, like the backstories for the other comics yeah. the other members of the cotet are very detailed and involved definitely and it's a much longer process and and again this just kind of feels like an appetizer this feels yeah. like stephen king kind of warming up mm-hmm. uh uh so it's not super memorable for me even though mm-hmm. it's it's definitely effective in this this short this short little jaunt of of his his backstory yeah there it's some interesting breadcrumbs um yeah, yeah going forward. that's a good way to put it yeah yeah um so before they head out um it's determined that jake will go with roland um uh in his pursuit for the man in black but before that they head down into the cellar and you talked a bit about uh the atomic pump and everything i don't remember if that was in this or in the uh, in the Patreon thing, but uh, you talked about the atomic pump, the, sci- oh, the sci-fi angle of that, the um, 
North Central Positronics and everything. And in this section, we have a, a kind of uh, another. It's it's kind of weird to think about this because this this feels like a in a weird way. It kind of feels like a sequel to the Gunslinger chapter because the Gunslinger has like all of the like the storytelling uh, things of like the Russian nesting doll, like the different storytelling, like flashbacks and everything. And then it has like equal bits like horror, western. And like these different like genres. And here we have kind of a similar thing. We have a couple of very big flashbacks for the two characters in this section. And then we get this encounter with a demon in the cellar that is very like this is a conventional like horror movie set piece, basically. Um, And it's just it's really interesting to see that be this uh like if i if i wasn't just by default very invested in stephen king anything he does um it's just it's like this is a very appetizing kind of peek at the horror angle of the dark tower series um so yeah so that's my long-winded way of of uh of prompting us to talk about this encounter with the demon in the cellar how did you feel about it this read through tiny um it's creepy. It's really creepy. I but like so effective and um yeah, like I, I just it's it's creepy. I don't know I don't really know what else to say about it. It's it's kind of a quick kind of a quick cut, you know. Mm-hmm. Um there's not a lot to it. Yeah. Um I mean basically it's you know, this I think it's it's a little bit just kind of it's kind of a piece of happenstance that the voice of the demon mm-hmm. is supposed to be um oh geez what's her name um the, the oh, woman yeah. he sleeps with until, oh Allie. um ally thank you yeah. uh it's supposed to be her voice that's mm-hmm. you know warning him that the man in black is going to use jake against him right uh basically um you know and i it's 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 fun it's scary and creepy mm-hmm. um i i like i like all those things for sure um and he grabs the jawbone i know that's mm-hmm. a thing that comes up later and i feel like yeah. i don't want to talk about it yet because i know it i know it comes up later but i can't remember exactly how that's used later on in the story i don't want to talk about it now because i don't want to like spoil something future on like right. later on in the even though we're spoiler free I, I just don't want to we're not spoiler free oh okay yeah yeah i should have said this up front we're not going to spoil anything past this further okay <laughs> that's okay yeah i was i was okay i was thinking yeah i was thinking yeah, I don't know why I was thinking spoiler oh, no, you're free. Good. Spoiler free, spoiler free for the way station, but not yes, future yes. parts of the story. So mm-hmm. I don't want to get into it now. But okay, um, yeah. So he grabs the jawbone, and it seems a little like, why? What's that? You know, I, I remember yeah. thinking the first time I read this, like, what's the significance of the jawbone? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's there's a bit. <laughs> like it reminds me of a little bit from the simpsons um uh i'm not going to bother trying to find find the clip or anything maybe i'll do it in post but um there's (laughs) there's a line in the simpsons that makes me think of this where um it's uh oh i can't i think i might be mixing it up with something else but anyway um yeah i i think 
Uh, it's the it's the episode where Bart and Lisa are on hockey on like uh, peewee hockey teams and they're going up against each other. But after like their first match or whatever, uh, they talk about how Marge uh, got like uh, how like a hockey puck had hit Millhouse in the face and he lost his teeth. And Marge, for no like no discernible reason, took them home with her and. Oh, I am conflating it with another clip, but, um, I don't know. Anyway, I just like, she, uh, this is off the rails, but, uh, they're like, why, why do you have that? And then she's like, I don't know. Um, but then there was another scene where she has like a potato and she keeps talking about potatoes. I don't know. But anyway, the line is that she's like, I just think they're neat. Um, (laughs) and I just imagine (laughs) Jake being like, why do you have the jawbone? And Roland's like, I just think it's neat. Um, (laughs) so, uh, anyway, that was a, that was an embarrassing disaster of, of mixing up, uh, Simpsons lines. But, um, but yeah, there is a level of just, it, it feels like the jawbone is supposed to be, um, like it's supposed to be implied that it's some kind of talismanic device or it's supposed to be like, it's supposed to have a certain level of weight to it in terms of importance. But I think because we're, uh, we're not privy to it as the audience, so it does fall a little bit flat yeah. here. Um, even though it's it mis- will be, it's mysterious, it. right? We don't really yeah. know why he does it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then, the last section that I have here, I might be skipping ahead some uh, some sections, I think. But there, oh, there was. I think there was a line where Roland, like they they. I think they do they reach the end of the desert because I remember there being a line about Roland seeing like actual like green like green grass and being kind of taken aback by it. Do they reach that or does he see that in the distance? Yeah, they reach the base of the mountains and they're getting ready to go up into the mountains where there's forest and they actually see the man in black. Yes, yes. He's like a speck in the distance, basically. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, But then we get... Roland's memory of Hacks the Cook. Um, mm-hmm. And this this is an extended flashback where Roland and Cuthbert are uh, they're, they're in the midst of their gunslinger training. Uh, we get a very good introduction for Cuthbert that he is kind of a wisecracking jokester, but he's also very timid. He's very... Um, He's he's childlike. He like he is he lacks a certain level of maturity that Roland seems to have ingrained in him from the start. But even then, Roland in this version, uh, this flashback of him has his doubts. He has like he isn't he hasn't come of age yet. He hasn't gotten his guns. Um, but throughout the course of this this flashback, uh, uh, Cuthbert is is admonished by uh, by court told him and, and said to go to bed without food. So Roland and Cuthbert go to the kitchen where Hacks the cook will gladly give them food. Uh, then they overhear him uh, conspiring to poison everyone, including children. Um, and then they, they tell on him and he is hanged. Um, and as a learning experience, Roland and Cuthbert are there to witness the hanging. Um, how did you feel about this whole flashback, um, the friendship between Cuthbert and Roland, and uh, any breadcrumbs that are laid for us um, um, in this flashback? 
I love this flashback. Um, it's it's my favorite part of this chapter. Um, nice. I again, I I just love any 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 time we spend throughout this whole series. Any time we spend in Gilead, I just love it. Um, I'm I'm fascinated by any tiny nugget of information that we get in these mm-hmm. flashbacks that are are, are little are little little nuggets of development for child Roland mm-hmm. turning into the baddest guns most badass gunslinger of all time right like yeah. that's it's it's so fascinating to most of the stories heroic stories we get mm-hmm. um are you have your hero but you don't know what made that hero yeah. and that's what i love about these flashbacks is we get to see these little pieces that make Roland what he is now. Yeah. And make make him the best gunslinger in Midworld and the uh, you know, this 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 man who survived the calamity of the world ending and he's the last one, you know. Mm-hmm. It's it's just it's interesting. I, I love all these little tidbits, you know. Um and, and there there's big stuff like he basically tattles on hacks the cook and mm-hmm. it results in um him being hanged and mm-hmm. and i i feel like he has a little bit of inner turmoil about it but ultimately he understands i, I and again this is my interpretation but i think ultimately he understands that this needed to happen and he I don't know that he he necess- he tells his father that he kind of wanted to kill Hax, mm-hmm. but ultimately I don't know that he wanted to, even though it needed to happen. If that makes sense, he he understands that Hax needed to be hanged, mm-hmm. but he he tells his dad that he wanted to kill him himself. But I don't know that yeah. he really did, because you know yeah. he gave he gave him food and right. he gave him pie and he had he had a, he liked the guy. He had a good relationship with him, mm-hmm. but um, he was also um you know he he was a bad guy he he was doing he was working for the good man uh, mm-hmm. for martin uh the man in black so um it's and it's just it's interesting to see that you know they they go to they actually go to the hanging and see him get hanged and all that it's it's just it's just crazy how much how many little pieces of development happen in this short the short jaunt, the short story, yeah. Uh, the, the 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 Russian nesting doll, like you said, the 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 quick story within the story, just how much, how much is packed in, and how how much did he experiences as a kid here influence him as an adult? You know, it's it's crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's again, there's the big piece of meat where he he hells on hacks and it ends up with him getting hanged, but he also has this. There's this kind of quick conversation he has with his dad Mm -hmm. where his dad's like, you know, he's not really, I feel like he's not really being a good father to him in a way. I guess he's, he's sort of, his dad is talking to him as a gunslinger more than his father. That's kind of how I, kind of how I interpret it. You know, he's Mm -hmm. like, you know, what, what was your reason for telling on him or, you know, what, and he's he's sort of teaching him lessons, mm-hmm. like you know, I I love the whole line where he's like, if 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 the society hasn't 
had a a bad guy in a while or a, a scapegoat maybe they'll mm-hmm. they'll invent one i guess or a turncoat i think was the word maybe i think um, so i can't remember what the term is yeah. but um you know he was like if if there hasn't been a turncoat in a while they'll invent one or they'll make one and so yeah i, I thought it was just it, all the little less lessons and nuggets in this backstory all come together really incredibly in a in a character that we're still very that we're still being introduced to it's it's pretty amazing everything he packed into this little story yeah i 100 agree and i think that a, another big like lesson for roland here and and i do agree that like he's not he like it's so interesting that steven deshane is not like i think you've hit the nail on the head that he's not he's not coaching him as a father and like to his son he's not like it's not it's not like he's imparting wisdom as a father he's doing it as a gunslinger like that his the entire world is his like gunslinging and everything um and one of the big lessons there that i think is is really a window into the innocence of roland as a child and in the mirror that it holds up to this stoic like very um distinguished kind of older gunslinger person who has all of this knowledge is that uh he asks um he asks his father he says something like well you know if you catch john farson then we then you don't have to hang anyone you don't have to hang hacks like he he can he can uh he doesn't need to die and he's like well that's where you're wrong because you know I think it goes on to what you said, like anyone that like they need like a turncoat, like any turncoat needs to, you know, hang and everything. And it's not as simple as saying like, well, if you get the if you get the big fish, then the little fish can be let go. It's it's more of a statement. And it is it is more about the fact that he was willing to for whatever reason, he was willing to murder countless people in the name of this crazy, you know, revolutionary we i don't think we ever really get like a good idea of john farson and everything and um yeah his whole deal but it's just it's this just big presence in the flashbacks uh that we get throughout the book uh throughout the series rather um and then one of the other like kind of final notes that i'll say and we can kind of start winding down a little bit is that um i also find it interesting that the concept of the man in black being all of these different personas, um, like he is Walter O'Dim, he is uh, he is potentially Martin Broadcloak, um, because uh, uh, Jake asks Roland, like, is is he the same? Like, is is uh, is is he also John Farson, and uh, and is he also this person that you're saying and everything? And then Roland's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. Um, like, you know, I've often thought about that. Maybe Walter and Martin are twins or maybe they are, maybe they're brothers. Maybe they're not related at all. Um, I just love that level of just kind of like, yeah, I don't know, but I'm going to keep going. Like, I'm just going to keep going after him. (laughs) Like, you know, I don't need all the answers. I just need to get to the freaking tower. Um, right. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I like that. And I'm curious if anyone listening to this is reading along with us for the first time, if you are reading this series for the first time, what do you make of that? What do you make of the idea of the man in black being all of these different personas? What do you make of 
this like is it intriguing to you or is it like a is it something that's like okay well you know pick a lane steve <laughs> like figure yeah. out uh who he is up front but i don't know i could i could see some readers being frustrated by it yeah 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 i mean it does it does not not me i I don't react that way but right. it's a little it like it's as opposed to being mysterious it's just kind of frustrating or like uh elusive like okay who the hell is this guy what's this character right. Or, like, is it convenient? Like, oh, well, let's just have it be the man in black. You know, right. Like that. You know. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah, I I agree. Um, but, yeah, any other thoughts on the way station? Um, just real quick, uh, fun parallel with um, the backstory with Hax the Cook being hanged and mm. um, uh, Stephen King's short story, The Body. Oh, um, yeah just just kids kids mm. being in the presence of a dead body and how they react to that dead body um and you know obviously there's different themes at play um but uh i don't know it just i, I kind of had i kind of had um a bit of a notion between was it elaine elaine johns is that is that who was with him um elaine johns when who was with him when uh, is, is that uh is that his friend that he goes to the execution with is oh no that's cuthbert. cuthbert cuthbert i couldn't remember yeah. which one it was mm-hmm. um cuthbert and roland just kind of made me think of um uh the boys finding the body in the body and like mm-hmm. actually seeing like their reaction to it you know it's yeah, yeah, kids, young boys experiencing something they shouldn't be experiencing. Yeah, um, but, you know, you shouldn't be. It's not like going to a funeral, right? right. This is something really bad happened. A person yeah. was killed. Like this is, it's different, yeah. you know. And it's it's a public uh, execution. Boys, yeah, right. And like in the body, this person is could have died under was either killed or died under. Mm-hmm. Uh, different circumstances this is not a this is not a cathartic exercise like a funeral this is mm. different this is a a crime scene or like a, yeah. you know this a this, statement this is a death right it's yeah. it's i don't know that was just a, an interesting parallel that kind of popped into my head um because i love yeah. the body that was an incredible oh, short story same um, here um but i that you know and that that the theme theme jumps between the two stories that's mm. uh, you know, young young boys experiencing something they shouldn't be experiencing, and how right. it might influence them later on in their life. I such a cool theme, and it, it's it's disturbing. It's um, it's it's uh, it's horror in a psychological way. Mm-hmm. It's not supernatural horror. I, I love that because yeah. a lot of people think of King as a supernatural horror storyteller, like with it and The Shining. Mm-hmm there's this whole supernatural side to it, but this is not supernatural. This is psychological. And I don't know, those themes just jumped out to me at this and I completely forgot about it. I'm yeah. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's also accentuated by the fact that like, I feel like Roland and Cuthbert, like their reactions to it and their encounters with, with the hanging itself is really interesting to me because first you have, um, like Roland, like first he examines like the wood of the, 
of the like uh the platform or whatever and he uh, he notes it as like yeah this isn't like this is so different from the wood that like is around like gilead and the castle and everything this isn't like high like like high-end wood or anything this isn't like royal wood this is just like you know hey we're gonna you know throw stuff at it it's like discount wood um Mm -hmm. and then he even takes a piece of it and then cuthbert's like why why are you taking a piece of it and then there's that moment that i feel like is is really telling of roland's kind of demeanor at this point in his life where he's where he thinks like he could tell him like oh you know luck of the luck of the gallows or something like that but he doesn't say that he doesn't say anything because he doesn't know why he did it he's just like yeah it's you know this is a significant thing that's going to happen might as well take a memento from it um but he's still a kid like he doesn't understand he can't make the connections of why it would be important to have a keepsake from it or anything um Mm -hmm. and i find that to be pretty interesting and that's an interesting also maybe there's a parallel there with him taking the jawbone from the cellar but maybe not um but in addition yeah but in addition to that cuthbert's reaction is to kind of be like kind of putting up a little bit of a weak front over it saying like i i think i liked it i think i liked seeing that guy die um and like roland is like yeah he probably like i didn't either or anything like it's very like i don't know it's 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 very childlike and i think that that's an interesting way to to write these characters in this flashback because they are kids even though they are you know in training to be gunslingers and everything i just think that's a a nice piece of characterization um yeah for sure yeah um so uh overall thoughts on the way station um how do you feel as we go into uh chapter three the oracle and the mountains uh it's it's a big step you know Mm -hmm. i i kind of forgot how um how much development there is in this like like all the backstory and um there's not a ton of action in this like Mm -hmm. obviously hacks getting hung and there's the whole he draws his guns twice i mean you know he's because he thinks he's he thinks he sees the man in black so he pulls his guns and then he he had the demon in the cellar he pulls his guns but there's not like a lot of action you know uh in this it's it's a lot of development um as opposed to the first chapter where he fucking kills a whole town (laughs) yeah Um, (laughs) you know but i think it's great because that's that's it's not the action that I love about this story. It's, it's the development, it's the relationships. That's what yes. makes it so good. And we get the beginnings of one here. Um, and, and, and then we get development for Roland and Jake. Mm. And, uh, I love it. It's, it's, uh, I, I have, I think I talked about it in the first episode that the gunslinger is not my favorite book in the series. And right. I, I had don't, I have kind of a, hit or miss loose relationship with this book because it's it's not as accessible it's a little bit it's it's pretty unique and it's um it's it's has a different style to it so um i don't have the best relationship with this book but that i think it's really evolving uh because i'm i'm really i I really kind of love it like i'm kind of i kind of i kind of love this this chapter it's it's sort of renewed my enthusiasm for the gunslinger because i I forgot how much development there really is or the development's hidden. I guess the, mm-hmm. the character development and the, the relationship is sort of hidden or downplayed maybe in, in this first book, but it's, 
standing out a lot more on this read through. Nice. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I, I think I was somewhat surprised by how focused it is on the backstory or on the flashback, because I know from experience that, you know, this is not the first flashback in this book, obviously, but uh, this is not the first time that we are going to be diving into the childhood of Roland Deschain. And I like that this is just one significant piece of his of his backstory that's given to us um, while introducing us to a new character. So I don't know. I think it's really good. It doesn't it doesn't need the action or anything. It's it proves it to be a uh, a compelling story uh, focusing on the characters here. And it's just it's it's a great um, uh, installment because it's just two characters really. Um, yeah, throughout yeah. it's really good. Yeah. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, shall we wrap up? Yes, sir. Nice. All right. Well, that will do it for our uh, uh, conversation, our palaver on the Waystation Chapter Two of the Gunslinger. Uh, next time on the podcast, Tiny, I had mentioned to you about maybe doing a uh, taking a break, a quick break, and doing like an episode uh, examining Children of the Corn, the new one and the old one. Um, I said that before, like when I was like 10 minutes into the new children of the corn, I, I don't think I would have enough to say about a full episode. So (laughs) with a full, I honestly don't, but, uh, if you're interested in listening to my thoughts on children of the corn, 2023, I do have an immediate reaction on, uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessive viewer. Um, uh, yeah. So sign up there for that and a bunch of other stuff. But next time on the show on episode 87, we are going to continue the gunslinger guys. <laughs> We're going to do chapter three, uh, which is going to cover the Oracle and the mountains, which is, uh, and the installment was originally published in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction in February, 1981. So, um, look forward to that soonish. I'm, I hope we'll, we'll get to that. I'm sure. Um, but yeah, but in the meantime, tiny, any, any final thoughts, uh, before we close up shop for the night? Um, just looking forward to keep going. Nice. Same here. So I'm going to go ahead and start playing us out. Once again, uh, check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash obsessive viewer for a bunch of stuff. And also check out our other shows. Obsessive viewer is the flagship show of obsessive viewer podcasts. And then we also have, uh, tower junkies um anthology which is my solo podcast about the twilight zone uh check all of that out uh and yeah and until next time thank you guys for listening long days and pleasant nights and may you have twice the number and now enjoy this short clip from our patreon exclusive rss feed for the full clip and more exclusive patreon content such as early access to episodes TV, book, and movie reviews and reaction recordings, commentary tracks, and Patreon poopery episodes, go to patreon.com slash obsessive viewer and become a patron at the minimum rate of $1 per month. Thank you and enjoy. So I feel like Kurt Wimmer is aware of that connection between Stephen King and The Twilight Zone because obviously Stephen King has stated before that he's a fan of The Twilight Zone and he was influenced by it a lot uh, when he watched it as a kid, but... um. The, the way that this movie, like I would, I would say probably the best thing about this movie is that the, um, there is one scene where 
uh, Bo is watching uh, It's a Good Life, the episode, that episode of The Twilight Zone. And there's a good portion of it that's shown. Like, it's about a 30-second clip that they that they used in the movie. And that's that's great as an homage. I really appreciate that. Um, as an homage and kind of a tip of the hat to um, the connection between Stephen King and the Twilight Zone and everything. And that's great. I really, really like that. Um, but, <laughs> and like I will say, that's the best part of the movie is getting to see a, a, like a 30-second clip from one of the premiere episodes of the Twilight Zone. One of the, one of the top-notch episodes of the Twilight Zone was the highlight of this movie, which should tell you how negatively I feel about the movie overall. I rated it one star on Letterboxd, by the way. It's just, it's, it's not, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty abysmal, but. This podcast was edited and produced by Matt Hurt and presented by obsessiveviewer.com. You can find links to all of our shows at obsessiveviewer.com slash podcasts. For exclusive bonus content, including reviews, commentaries, and B-roll episodes, you can subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash obsessiveviewer. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.